And Shabbat Shalom and greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Hey, put it up in the chat right now live if the audio is coming through and the stream is coming through clear to you today. We are in Torah portion bow today as we adventure in through the Torah. And I'll wait to make sure that you are getting this nice and clear and checking out the live chat. I've got a screen coming up here as well so I can see everything that's going on. So please put up in that live chat if you are getting audio clearly. Just double checking. Diesel Grandpa, Shabbat Shalom up there in Snohomish. I know you guys are refreshed from your trip down there in Arizona and we've got a thumbs up and looks like audio is good. Shabbat Shalom, Aaron. He sees me and hears me. So looks like we're ready to go, guys. We are in Torah portion bow today. So let's journey on together. And remember, give us some thumbs up. Give us some thumbs up so you can, of course, help in the Google Analytics and we can try and gather one more sheep into the flock because we are scattered. We are scattered abroad. Bow. It means to enter or sometimes can be translated as go, as in the book of Revelation when the apocalyptic horsemen bow, they go out to the nations. But here in our Torah portion today, we are in the book of Shemot, Exodus chapter 10, verse 1, and it extends all the way through to chapter 13, verse 1. And let me just give you a brief overview. Of course, we look now, we're in the plagues. Of course, we're in the eighth plague. Here, the plague of locusts as Moshe petitions Pharaoh for Israel to leave Mitzrayim, to leave Egypt. And of course, then we get into the ninth plague, which is darkness. Now, something that really stood out to me in that ninth plague before we get into the narrative today is the 23rd verse of Exodus chapter 10, and I'll read it to you. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had the light in their dwellings. It's very easy to buzz through the text without thinking of the huge ramifications of that. I mean, have you ever been in a place where there is no light whatsoever? I mean, maybe in a cave or something like that. I know that I have. And when there is absolutely zero light that comes in, you would be terrified to even move from your place because you have no perception. And then the longer that goes on, your senses, hearing, sight, smell, everything would become all skewed. And three days of that would absolutely be a terror, a terror to the people. But still, Pharaoh doesn't let the children of Israel go. Then we get into chapter 11. We get into, of course, the death of the firstborn is announced. And then we get into chapter 12. We get the Passover is instituted right here in Mitzrayim in Egypt. We come into the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn, and then the exodus from Egypt. Of course, we're going to also get the Passover regulations and the Torah portion this week finishes with the consecration, the consecration of the firstborn. There's the overview. Hopefully you've spent the week in the word, meditating on the word through the cycles of the Torah portion. I think it brings forth great fruit in our life to be back in the portions together. So let's delve into the text, Exodus chapter 10 and verse one, it is written. And Yahuwah said to Moshe, Bo, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants so that I might show these my signs before him. Oftentimes, when we're trying to communicate with family or friends or people that we care about, I know I have, been really discouraged when they seem to have a hardness of heart to the word or a hardness 
of heart, to the message that I'm trying to communicate of how my life has been transformed, not only by the Savior, but then through obedience to the word and the transformative process of the word in my life and my family's life. And you can be discouraged and maybe give up. But here we can see that a hardness, a hardness of the heart can oftentimes be used by Yahuwah for great good. And I'm going to talk about my friends up there in Snohomish because the son-in-law that I know you're watching, of course, I remember several feasts ago that my brother Carlos was looking at me as I was teaching the word with just a terrible stink eye, with such a hardness of heart toward me that everybody could see. But now we fast forwarded all of this time, all of the seasons, and Yahweh used that hardness of heart in my brother's life to bring him to a fullness of faith that he had not experienced before. And I got to receive the greatest blessing and honor from him by ministering and being his surrogate father at his wedding. What a testimony, not only to his family, to him, to myself, but our community on how Yahweh can use a hardened heart to actually bring somebody into a greater relationship. And I've seen that myself in my life. Why was it that I was kicking against the goads for so long against Yahuwah? But now he has transformed my life to be able to be a minister to you and so many others. And it stemmed at one time from a hardness of heart but it doesn't always work out that way. And that's how we need to have discernment. So as we go on in the text, we can see in verse two, the whole point is that Pharaoh, please let the children of Israel go so that you may tell in the ears of your son and of your son's sons what things I have worked in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them so that you may know that I am Yahuwah. And Moshe and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, thus says Yahuwah, the Elohim of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? And that really is the crux of whether we know the Savior. Have we come into a place of brokenness? Have we come into a place of teshuva? of repentance and being able to humble ourselves before the creator. Let my people go so that they shall serve me. So true repentance brings forth a fruit of service. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. There is a connection here between repentance and obedience. And this is something for so long that wasn't taught in the traditional church. And we'll delve into this a little bit deeper when we look at Pharaoh's life, as reflected in Romans chapter 7 as well by Paul. But we can see here now in the fourth verse, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your coasts, and they shall cover the face of the land so that one cannot be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the rest of that which has escaped, which remains to you from the hail. And they shall eat every tree which grows for you out of the field. And they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and the houses of the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your father's fathers have seen since the day that they were upon the earth until this day. And he turned himself and he went out from Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's servants said to him, how long shall this man be a snare to us? How many times when you have tried to present what Yahweh has done in your life, in your family's life, to somebody whose heart is hardened, 
Do they look at you as just someone who is a snare unto them? And there's this vexation and there's this rub. And you can see this. And this is the difference between light and darkness or the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, and the Yetzirah Tov, the good inclination. And we're to be that light to those that are crouched down, afraid to move in the darkness that they've actually established for themselves. And the longer they stay there, the harder it is for them to move. So we continue on now and we see in verse seven, and Pharaoh's servants said to him, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go so that they may serve Yahuwah their Elohim. So salvation and deliverance is accompanied by service. It is not one without the other. These are intricately connected from the Torah. And if we had gone through the Torah portions in the church, I think that we would have learned how to live more fruitfully and to be able to put sin out of our life a lot easier than many of the troubles and tribulations you and I have gone through because we weren't taught these foundational truths. Verse eight, and Moshe and Aaron, Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh and he said to them, Bo, go serve Yahweh your Elohim. Who are the ones that shall go? And Moshe said, we will go with our young and with our old and with our sons and with our daughters. And what are they gonna go and do? We will go with our flocks and our herds. That is everything that we have for we must hold a feast unto Yahweh. And one of the first things that we realize when we come out of the world is a return to the biblical feasts. We start to dedicate not just every Sunday, but we start to dedicate every day of our lives and start to schedule our lives around the seasons, the Moedim of Elohim, not the gods of this world. And it is no coincidence that our birth dates, the whole days of the week, the weeks, the months and the years, they're all ordered and named after the pagan deities to keep people in that slavery mindset. There is such a stark contrast here that sets the precedence for freedom because it's a freedom from the perception of slavery. Now, if we fast forward now to the 12th chapter and we go to verse 40. Now, while you're turning there, I'm just going to look in the chat here and make sure you guys are still getting up, getting the sound, everything good in the sound. I'm doing this obviously from a live location. Give me a thumbs up or something in the chat before I go on to the 12th chapter. It looks like you're still there. So, hey, I'll take that as golden, still tracking, diesel grandpa, still tracking. Excellent, excellent. So now we're going to go to Shemot, Exodus chapter 12 and verse 40. Now this bears quite some confusion based upon a misunderstanding of the account of Acts chapter 7. Then we see, now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even on the very same day. This is what I want to camp out on for a moment because it is Malkit Zedek and it truly, truly shows from the beginning all the way to the end of scripture, the prophecy of how Yahuwah is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. And this has always been always been about repentance, relationship with the promised son and the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world. The whole story from scripture, from Abraham through to the book of Revelation is about this concept. Now, etzem yom is what appears in the script right here. 
where it says, now the, the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years, and it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, etzem yom, on the very same day. What day? Of course, now we're going to see this whole Malkitzedic story unfold. Because in Genesis chapter 12, we have the unconditional promise that Yahuwah gave to Abraham. We've spent much time covering that topic. But remember, Abraham comes back to Yahuwah and says, how do I know that I will really inherit this promise? So Yahuwah gives him a conditional arm of the covenant that if you do not keep this covenant, then because you flayed open the, the pieces and the burning torch and the flaming oven came down before, between and betwixt the pieces, that if somebody breaks this covenant now, because there is a conditional arm attached, then there must be a death because of the death penalty position. Et same yom, on the very same day, is referring back to when the body and the limbs, the flayed open pieces of that covenant took place. So on the very same day that the Genesis 15 covenant took place, now we have all this time later, 400 years later from that very, very day, their divisions of Yahweh went out from Egypt. This has got huge, huge prophetic implications because it's always been about Passover. And Passover didn't begin here in Exodus chapter 12. Now, in Genesis chapter 15, we get the flaying open of the pieces, so bear with me here, which we're going to call the body and limb day. And this is where there really is the striking of the doorposts because it's relationary. Are we going to come into the house of Yahuwah for our salvation and deliverance? And then are we going to go out and serve him at his feasts and his festivals? Genesis chapter 15 shows actually the first Passover was a blood covenant because that flaying open of the pieces happened on the very same day, Passover. So what that's telling us from the scripture is that Yahuwah will renew that covenant with Israel whilst they're slaves in Egypt. And it was exactly 400 years from the 400 years from the flaying open of the pieces or 430 years, excuse me, I got that backwards, 400 years from the birth of Isaac and 430 years from the covenant between the pieces. And that's why you'll see those different numbers in scripture. Sometimes it's 400, sometimes it's 430 years. But Israel wasn't... They weren't enslaved in Egypt for 430 years, which is the common church teaching, because they are unaware of the whole Malkitzedic covenant and how it connects from Genesis 12 to Genesis 15 to the Passover right here in our Torah portion, all the way to Exodus 19 at the institution of the Book of the Covenant. Then we know you have the golden calf breach the implementation of the death penalty position. So for its fulfillment to happen, we're going to have to go to another Passover because the whole inception point is a Passover. So I hope you're tracking with me because Passover will forever be the feast of coming into the Malkitzedic covenant and finding salvation. Dedication and engagement between Yahuwah and Israel through the mediation of a lamb or a mediator, as the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us, greater than Moshe. So the covenant between the pieces, Genesis 15, happened 430 years to the very same day. 
The birth of Isaac, the promised son, happened 400 years to the very same day at the Passover. Bear with me as we turn, if you've got your scriptures open, to Bereshit, Genesis chapter 15, verse 16. And let's verify what I'm saying. But in the fourth generation, well, how long is a generation? And how long would fourth, four generations be? Four generations is approximately 210 to 245 years, okay? 210 to 245 years. They shall come here again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, see a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between the pieces. Now, again, I've spent so much time saying, this is Yahusha that passes through the pieces, the covenant son, which is, of course is why we see in the book of John, Yahusha said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And of course the Pharisees and the Sadducees said, how on earth can you say Abraham rejoiced to see my day? You're not even 30. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but you get the point. Now, in the same day, Yahuwah made a covenant with Avram, saying, to your seed have I given this land. That's the text of Genesis 15, which really sets the whole prophecy of Scripture and salvation from sin, salvation from mystery Babylon, a metaphor for Egypt, this world, our relationary life with the Savior. Now, here's the confusion. Acts chapter 7. You can turn there if you want. Acts chapter 7, specifically people focus in on the sixth verse. But I'll back up to Exodus chapter 6, verse 16, and show to you right there in the, in the genealogy of Exodus chapter 6, you're going to see that they were only enslaved in Egypt for 210 years. Look, in Exodus chapter 6, verse 16, Levi's sons were Gershon, Kohath, and Marai. Now, Levi lived for 137 years, and we know that Moshe came through Kohath's son, Amram. So how on earth could you possibly get 430 years from that genealogy? You simply can't. You get 210 years from that genealogy. It's 400 years from the covenant between the pieces and 430, excuse me, I see I've got that back to front again. It's 430 years from the covenant between the pieces and it's 400 years from the birth of the promised son, Isaac. This discrepancy, it clouds the whole Malchizedek priesthood. It clouds the whole book of the covenant, book of the Lord dichotomy. And it clouds how we're to live once we've come to salvation. Because always from Genesis 12, it was always about Passover. It was always about the blood. It was always about redemption. It was always about going out and keeping the feasts and festivals and worshiping Yahuwah the way that Yahuwah wants to be worshipped. And its entry and exit point is always the Passover lamb and how we treat the lamb. So Acts chapter 7 and verse 6 should not be isolated from the context of the preceding verses. But Elohim spoke in this way that his descendants would be foreigners in a land belonging to others, and they would enslave and mistreat them for 400 years. But you can't isolate that verse from the rest of the text, which is the Haran, Avraham or Avram coming out from Mesopotamia, coming out from pagan sun god worship, crossing over and the full spectrum of the prophecy. You see, churchmen have isolated the bondage, the stay in Egypt, and they miss the whole Malkit Zedek covenant prophecy. 
which is what you and I have the understanding of, which has transformed our life. It truly is a narrow road that leads to life. We really are on that narrow covenant path that leads to a high priest after the order of Malkitzedek. Yes, there's grace, but there's Torah, but it's the Malkitzedek application of Torah because we have a greater mediator than Moshe. This is the 430-year prophecy that was inaugurated by the flaying open of the pieces. It was then on the 400th year, it was brought forth by the promised son, the sacrificial son, substituted for a ram, the son that was born at a Passover and that would be fulfilled as a Passover lamb. So this is huge to me on what I wanted to camp out today because this 430 and 400 year prophecy and that they were in slavery in Egypt for only 210 years, it shouldn't be overlooked because it's the crux of the Malkitzedic priesthood and it's the crux of salvation as far as our application of the blood in our lives and what it should bring forth covenant fidelity so all that to say this we know of course after they came out of egypt they were at the mountain and within 40 days they had the golden calf breach that golden calf breach brought in that death penalty position of the 430 year prophecy and that was enacted and that then extended the prophecy that should have been wrapped up with their deliverance of Passover, Exodus chapter 12. It should have been wrapped up then. But the golden calf breach now extended the prophecy because of Yahweh's Rachamin, his mercy. So when will its final fulfillment be? It's always been about a Passover. The only reason it was extended to his son was because his son was the only one, the only way to salvation that could bring forth and be the remedy for the death penalty position. It was the son that discharged death. And of course, this transfers us back, not into a Levitical system, but back into the Malkitzedic priesthood, which was prior to Sinai, which this whole prophecy was established upon. Passover was not established upon a Levitical altar. Passover was not established upon a Levitical system. It was established in the times of Abraham, and Abraham never even knew Levi. And of course, that's why it says in Hebrews that Levi paid tithes to Abraham. So Genesis chapter 17, turn there with me. And I'm going to check in the chat that you guys are still, still live. Yes, we've got John Weaver. Shabbat shalom there, John. It was always about Pesach, he says. That is true. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Covenant fidelity, Karen Long. That's our bridegroom, Yahusha, Baruch Hashem, Yahweh. Um, Shabbat fellowship, amazing to understand that Passover didn't start in Egypt. See, this just reassures me that you're tracking with me because I want to know that you're with me, that you're, you're following the steps of scripture. Because for so long, I sat in the church and I heard this message and yes, I understood salvation, but I could never connect it to the rest of scripture. But now I see it everywhere. And why is that important? Because that enables me to understand how to relate to the Savior in my everyday life, how to make repentance, how to stay faithful, to how to have relationships with my, my children and my wife and you and the community, how to live the way I'm supposed to live. Because it is relationary, but it is not some abstract concept. It is tied to covenant fidelity. And that is power, my friends. 
That is power. So Genesis chapter 17, Bereshit 17 verse 21. If you're enjoying this, please put some thumbs up. Remember, I'd love it if you would subscribe to the ministry because that really helps us get those lost sheep that could be viewing right now. And remember, the next Moed that we get to be together is Passover. So please go to TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect and you will be able to sign up very shortly for Passover that we're going to be celebrating. We're going to be hosting a feast here in Oregon. And I know through all of our brethren on the connect communities that we will be having virtual Passover for those of you that are isolated, that want to partake of the elements together. You can do that. And we're going to be having other Torah to the tribes groups that are hosting Passover worldwide. So stay connected and be that light to your community. Genesis 17, verse 21, it is written, but my Brit, my covenant, I establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you when? At this very day, at this set time. If you look at the Hebrew there, it's the Hebrew word moed, set time, at this appointed time, moed in the next year. Isaac, the promised son, will be born 30 years after the flaying open of the pieces at the very same time, Passover, the next year. How do we know that? Look. Genesis chapter 18, verse 6. And Abraham ran into the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine flour. Knead it and make cakes. Now, look at that word cakes in the Hebrew. It's the Hebrew word ugar. It's spelled with an ayin, a gimel, and a chay. And it means a cake baked under hot cinders, especially for on a journey in haste. Unleavened cakes. So the unleavened cakes, the matzah, they come from here. The whole context of the covenant between the pieces. Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 18. And we see them appearing here in our Torah portion in Shemot, Exodus chapter 12, verse 39. Passover wasn't instituted in Egypt. Passover was always instituted with Abraham. It was always about the promise of the Malkitzedic priesthood. Genesis Bereshit 19, verse 3. Now, this is Lot, of course, in Sodom with the two Malachim, the two angels, around the same time in the context. And he pressured them greatly, and they turned in to stay with him. And the two Malachim, they entered into Lot's house, and he made them a feast, and he did bake matzah bread, and they did eat it, unleavened bread. Genesis Bereshit chapter 21. And Yahweh visited Sarah as he had said, and Yahweh did to Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Avraham a son in his old age at the Moed, at the appointed time. There's that phrase again, Passover, of which Elohim had spoken to him and Avraham called the name of his son that was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Yitzhak, Isaac. It was always about the lamb that takes away the sin of the world by us entering into covenant. Problem is, we're thousands of years removed from the Passover that Yahushua had with his Talmudim. We're thousands of years removed from the Passover in the Exodus, Shemot chapter 12 text. And we're thousands of years removed 
from the Genesis Bereshit 15 context of the Passover. So what we've ended up today with, my friends, and this may offend some of you, and I don't mean to offend you, but we've ended up with a lamb that is sodden and soaked in the watered down traditions of men and it is unable to sustain them in a holy life because it is not supposed to be boiled and sodden in the watered down traditions of men. Our lamb is to be refined through the refiner's fire, that it is utterly burnt up because we are hard pressed down and we live a refined life, which means that we are refined through trials and tribulations, and that strengthens our faith. And every time that we are hard pressed, we are shaken and we are burnt, we press in to our covenant fidelity relationship. The lamb was never supposed to be boiled. It was never supposed to be some watered down, greasy grace doctrine. It was supposed to be an on fire message, roasted, burnt, and nothing left over. You fully consume the savior. It's not some watered down mixture. Roasted meat, would be hard when the fire torched it. Yet, inside it would be soft, it would be tender. It was never to be watered down. It was to be refined in the fire. So roasted represents truth metered out in Torah, whereas boiled is soft everywhere, isn't it? It's full of greasy grace and it disqualifies the lamb from being the authentic Passover lamb. And therefore it is put on a pagan calendar on pagan God's feast dates after another day. Because it was always about leaving the gods of the world and coming and celebrating Yahweh at his appointed time. Because the appointed time was the covenant. Now, we know the truth is revealed in Yahweh's Torah, just as the gospel writer John said in the first chapter and the 14th verse. But Jesus in church today is just soaked with so much water in the pot of men's own reasonings, and he's boiled down to their own watered-down doctrines and speculations until many, they really lose that flavor. They lose that desirableness of the Savior because it was never, ever served to them in the full, meted, and Torah balance perspective. It was boiled and watered down. And if it's boiled and watered down, the flavor of the meat is not retained. And that's why so many people have a one-time salvation experience, but the flavor of that, it doesn't last with them. So they go out into the world and again, become entangled in the world because it's a watered down, boiled lamb. Think about it. Think about it. This is what we mean by the meat of the gospel, as opposed to the milky and watery ones of so many churches today. And I'm not throwing the church as a whole under the bus. It's the doctrines that men have watered down over generations. So the so-called truth about Jesus handed down to us by modern teachings is raw. It really is. It's raw. It's soaked with water. It's a diluted doctrine of salvation and atonement where there's really little nutrition that can sustain you through this hostile world. That's what I experienced. I knew that I had come into relationship with the Savior. I knew that I was changed, but I couldn't reconcile that with the watered down message that I was hearing. And it was only when I came into the full Malkit Zedek, 
covenant fidelity that I saw that I could be sustained and keep sin at bay. I've been given tools. It's called fidelity. It's called covenant. It's called priesthood. It's called having a mediator greater than Moshe that intercedes for me daily. It's power. It is power and an everlasting changed life today. So think about this. True repentance, brethren, is born out of the realization and conviction, which then leads to relationship via covenant. Whereas feigned repentance is born out of a need for security. Well, I'm, you know, I'm afraid of dying. Or you know what? I think I'm just going to hedge my bets. And, uh, you know, if there is a God, and yeah, I'm going to hedge my bets. Yeah, yeah, I repent. I repent. Well, that just leads to a religious and sodden down life. Because we do know, right, that Pharaoh repented. Look, Exodus chapter 10, verse 16. And this is what's taught from the church. I have sinned against Yahweh, your Elohim, and against you, Pharaoh says. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. That sounds like a canned sinner's prayer from a watered down message. Have you ever heard that? I mean, I was an elder in the church for many years and every Sunday we'd have to stand aside after the after the sermon and um, go go and see the, the elders um, if you would like to receive salvation. And there will be many people that would come and want to be forgiven of their sin just this once. But it wasn't born out of true repentance. They were hedging their bets or they were afraid of dying. These deathbed confessions. Are they true? It's not for me to judge. But here we have in scripture, Pharaoh, who was a vessel created for destruction, who repents of his sins just once. And he does it because he wants to be, he wants to hedge his bets against death. So that doesn't mean that you're truly in relationship with the Savior, does it? But this type of behavior, this type of action in the traditional church system is bannered and waved as, oh, yes, we got a thousand people saved today. This is not the fruit of salvation. This is just a confession of the mouth. It's a hedging of the bets. It's not authentic. As the scripture bears out, Pharaoh was created for destruction. Just because you ask for forgiveness once does not assure true covenant fidelity, does it? It must be followed by obedience. What's the one thing, ask yourself this, what's the one thing that Pharaoh could not do? What's the one thing that so many people today that claim the name of Jesus cannot do? They cannot keep the commandments of Yahweh. They refuse to. There's an excuse on why we don't keep the commandments of Yahweh. There's an excuse. There's some kind of reasoning why I should not have to obey. Because in my heart, I did the prayer of Exodus chapter 10, verse 16. It's not sufficient for true fidelity relationship. That's the difference between the boiled lamb and the refiner's fire lamb that brings you into covenant fidelity. It's when we pass through the fires of affliction to get the dross of Egypt, the dross of this world burn out of us, that we become full. Boiling and simmering in the world will not do it. And too many believers alleged believers are boiling and simmering in the world. They have not been refined out of the world. But the Passover lamb brings, yes, grace into our lives, but it also brings judgment over sin that we should no longer be bound to sin. 
our condition, our nature changes through that fire. You don't go to church for a soaking. I mean, I can't tell you how many times over the years, oh, come to Wednesday night service for a soaking, you know, a soaking in the Holy Ghost. No, we don't go to church for a soaking. We go to the Shabbats and the feasts to be refined by the refiner's fire. As iron sharpens iron, so should a man with his brother. We're not there to mollycoddle and soak one another. That's a different doctrine. Look what it says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 3. He will sift as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to Yahweh an offering of righteousness. That's our lives through the covering of the blood of the lamb. So the Passover lamb, it proceeded, think about this. The Passover lamb then, because of what we've now unfolded from Genesis chapter 12, 15, and so forth, that the Passover wasn't instituted in Exodus 12, but was actually instituted with Abraham. The Passover lamb thus preceded the giving of the Levitica, Levitical, excuse me, altar system. That's got huge ramifications. Yahushua's blood in likewise manner covers the doorposts and lintels of our hearts without having to be on a Levitical altar. And the writer of the book of Hebrews in the 13th chapter, and if you specifically hone into and meditate on the 10th verse, you'll see that clearly. So don't get hung up on Yahushua and a Levitical altar because it does not work because Yahushua has always been about the Malkitzedic priesthood and the Malkitzedic ramification of that covenant in our lives. So I'm going to conclude now and then jump into the chat and just check that you guys are still with me. I'm going to have a sip here. Oh, we've got a nice group of you here on the chat. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. Now, in conclusion, over the years, people have come to me with, you know, now being in the Torah and reading this week's Torah portion, bow, and seeing what's laid out in the Torah and the requirements for the lamb, Passover, the ordinances, it does pose, raise some questions that many have come to me and go, well, hang on a minute. Um, if Yahushua was this, then why does the Torah say this? And I want to cover some of those questions just to give you of the full perspective from the Malkitzedic priesthood perspective. And here are some of the questions that have been posed to me over the years, questioning the prophetic implications of Yahushua and the Passover. Here's a question. Now, I think, I don't know, maybe you haven't thought of this, but you know, these are things that have been posed over the years. If the Passover lamb is of the first year and without blemish, then how do you reconcile that Yahushua was of the 33rd year and he was beaten and bruised? That's a good question, right? Well, surely the prophecy has failed. And this is where, you know, the, the anti-missionaries, those that don't believe that Yahushua is the Messiah or those in the Messianic movement that are on their way to denying Yahushua that many, many end up on that wrong broad path because they get so much Torah that they, but they don't get Torah in the perspective and the foundation of Malkizedek. They get Torah spewed at them through a Levitical hierarchy, and then they start to see things like this, and then the next thing they know, well, oh, Yahushua can't be the Messiah because, man, he was of the 33rd year, and the lamb was supposed to be of the first year, and the lamb was supposed to be perfect without spot and blemish, and he was totally beaten and scourged, and um, so he will be unqualified. No. Yahushua is the lamb that was slain before 
the foundation of the world, right? He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And think about this. It's multifaceted. Yahusha isn't a sacrifice that was slain under the Aaronic Levitical order. And he isn't subject to the first year rule of the Aaronic Levitical order. He was always slain under the Malkizedic higher order. Also, too, and here's another way to look at it. We know that Yahusha did not have a three and a half year ministry. Yahusha was mikvah by John the Immerser, and he had approximately a 70-week ministry from feast to feast. So he was slain by the Hebrew reckoning of time in the first year after being mikvah for service. So there's another way to reconcile this. But ultimately, he's not bound under the ordinances of a Levitical altar because his sacrifice predates Levi. Now, here's another question that's come to me over the years. Well, well, still going back, well, he was blemished and the lamb's supposed to be unblemished. So how do you deal with that? Well, that one's pretty easy because on the 10th of Aviv is when the lamb is inspected. It's brought inside the house. It's inspected for four days. Now, what happened to Yahusha? He comes up into Jerusalem. He comes into the Temple Mount complex, the house, and he is inspected for how many days? From the 10th to the 14th. And the verdict of the inspection is, I find no fault in him. That was publicly broadcast, and that was the verdict The lamb is perfect, finding no fault in him. Right there, clears that up very, very succinctly. Now, here's another question that's come up. If Yahushua is the Passover lamb, how can he both sit down and eat the Passover Seder with his disciples and be the lamb itself? He can't be both. Well, yes, he can, because there were two calendars in operation in the area of Israel at the time of Yahushua. There was the Galilean calendar, which was dawn to dawn, and there was the Judean calendar, the Feast of the Jews, as John always refers it to, sunset to sunset. So this allowed Yahushua to both sit down and eat of the Passover with his disciples on one calendar and then be the actual lamb slain on the Passover on the other calendar. I mean, it's absolutely prophetic implications and powerfully connected all the way through scripture. So just think about the events from the New Testament, the Brit Hadashah, that are linked to the Torah Portia that we're Torah Pasha that we're in today, which is Torah Pasha bow. Look, John chapter 12. Then six days before the Passover, Yahusha came to Bethania. Well, six days before the Passover. So what date would he have been? He would have been around the ninth of Aviv. Okay. Then in Luke chapter nine, verse 28, We had the triumphal entry. He comes into the house and the lamb is brought into the house on the 10th. And we know that the 10th day, the lamb was selected in Bethlehem by the high priest in the days of Yahushua. They would send the high priest and the priesthood out to Bethlehem to go and select the lamb. And that lamb then was brought into the Temple Mount complex on the 10th and inspected. At the time of Yahusha, there were hundreds of thousands of people waiting for that lamb to be led down from Bethlehem, the house of bread, into Jerusalem, up the old Jerusalem road. And when they saw Yahusha coming, what did they cry out? Baruch Haba Habashem Yahuwah. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh. And they couldn't even quieten the people. And the disciples said that if they should even try to quieten the people, that those old stones of the altar, that they would cry out in judgment. Then in John chapter 12, verse 15, and you see it again in Matthew chapter 21, we see them mounted on a colt, the mounted on a donkey prophecy, which comes from Genesis 49, verse 11. We spoke about it the other week with Moses in Exodus chapter 4, verse 20. And of course, it's the prophecy of Yahushua, Zechariah 9, as fulfilled in John 12, 15 and Matthew 21. Remember, even the unbelieving um, French rabbi Rashi, okay, I quoted him and I'll quote him again. He says, why was a donkey, referring to the, the text, his, his um, um, oh, commentary, escaped me there for a moment, his commentary on Exodus chapter 40, on Exodus chapter 4, verse 20, he says this, why was a donkey chosen for Moshe's mission? Moshe mounted his wife and children on a unique donkey. This was the donkey which Avraham himself prepared for the journey to sacrifice his son, Yitzhak. There's the connection. And it was the donkey on which Moshiach is going to be revealed as the verse states that Moshiach is a poor man riding a donkey. And then Rashi quotes Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. So close, yet so far. We know in the New Testament that the lamb is brought into the house according to the prophecy on the 10th. Yahushua rides up to Jerusalem on the 10th. He's inspected for four days before all the temple elders in the temple, the house, the precinct. And finally, he is declared, I find no fault in him. This is the perfect, without sin, unblemished lamb. There's the, there is the announcement. John chapter 18, the 14th day, the final inspection before the slaughter. In the presence of the chief priests, I find no fault at all. This is the same announcement that would have been made up in the temple complex proper for the yearly Passover lamb. And then finally at 3 p.m., and the Hebrew phrase here is banaim ha baim, between the evenings it is finished. Bain ha baim. This is all encapsulated in this week's Torah portion. And I think it is powerful. And if we go back to the story of Joseph, we find that truly Moshiach ben Yosef's cup has been found in the sacks of tradition of the sons of Israel, has it not? And you and I are the ones that see the cup. We drink of the cup and we're to partake of the cup every single day of our life. So that's what I've got for you this Shabbat. I hope it was a blessing to you. I'm going to now jump into the chat and see what you have got to say to me. And again, if you want me to um, comment, then please redline me so it um, stands out. So it stands out. All right. Okay. And see. Giant killer is asking me, I am, am I back in the bunker? No, I'm not. No, I'm in a different bunker. And Shiloh says, Passover, Passover is always connected, concerned with fellowship. Observing to do this yearly leads to an obedient lifestyle, an on-fire relationship with Yahuwah Elohim and the Ruach HaKodesh, Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. Thank you. And LEV says, Matthew, what are some of the ways you make the Shabbat an interesting, interesting and exciting time for your children? I'm having a, a hard time connecting with my children to do it. Well, my wife has a, a, a wonderful book um, on the feasts and the 
of course, the Sabbath being a feast and how to relay that to children that we had used when the children were younger. But it's really about implementing traditions in your home. Now, traditions, you go, oh, traditions. Traditions based upon biblical text are okay. Traditions based upon man are not. So it's about the timing and the um, implementation of Yahuwah's timing in your life. So we break bread together as a family. We have Kiddush together as a family. We separate the secular work week from the holy day of Shabbat once a week. The family comes together. Prayer, we make it distinctly different. We make it exciting. We make it um, a part of the family culture. And then we connect with other families that do likewise. And it is something that you're raised up in. And it's raising your children up in a different culture. I think that's the most important thing is to have a biblical culture and a biblical lifestyle because that in itself breeds that kind of behavior and excitement and passion that you're looking for. Karen Long, Zephaniah 3, chapter 3, verse 9. Yahweh is restoring us all to Hebrew. He is. He's transferring us. He's saying cross over from one soil to a better soil. William R. Hosanna in the highest. Salvation in the highest. Annette Watson's got a very great question. What happens to those who accept Jesus into their hearts but refuse to follow Torah and just go along with the Christian church teaching? You know, that's an excellent question. I, I can only answer for myself from my experience. And I know that when I accepted the Savior, when I was 24, that was an authentic acceptance. And I know at that moment, I was saved. I'm no more saved today than I was then. But as I have pressed in, I have become more aware and I have become more sanctified and I have a much richer life. So I find and I feel that those that um, haven't come into the growth, that they really are ripping themselves off from a truly changed and transformed life. I've had a life of miracles and I continue to have miracles in my life, I think because of this. And there's, there's nothing on earth that you could trade for that. So I think that the authenticity that happens in faith is you get the blessings, you get the rewards from that life. And it's not rewards that maybe this, this world would see, but it's the rewards that are deep down with you that you can take to the grave and that will be with you in the resurrection. And hopefully they will be um, gems in your crown to lay down before the Savior. So I think people are more ripping themselves off than anything else at all. Jose says in um, the scripture, the angel of Yahuwah appeared to him in a blazing fire from within a bush. And Moshe saw the bush ablaze with fire, but it was not consumed. We are refined through the fire and the same such fire. Amen. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. That is fabulous. Let's see. Oh, there's a nice group of you here on the chat today. I'm glad. I wasn't sure if you're going to be able to find the live stream, seeing as I'm doing it a little bit different. Diesel Grandma from Snohomish says, I am sensing a real attack against men in their positions of heads of households, hoping that wives will pray for the husbands, fathers who are struggling right now with fears. Thank you, sister. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. 
Yeah, especially when this world has a different narrative. It's a narrative of slavery. It's a, a narrative of, ma of emasculation. It's a, a narrative of being sodden and watered down, you know? So again, we have to push back against the culture. Craft, cast, Nate. How many times can you continue to not change before he starts to not work or protect you? Well, you'll become overlooked, exactly. And why would any of us want that? Press in, press in, press in. All right, let's see. Hmm. All right. Do we have any other questions? If not, we'll hopefully catch you live next Shabbat. And remember, give us some thumbs up right now. And um, please subscribe to the ministry channel here. And if you're watching this later, then put some comments in the comment section below. And quite honestly, I love the thumbs up, but I did like to see the thumbs down too because that really is not fair, is it? Now we don't know. So again, I'll take the rough with the smooth, the beautiful with the ugly, because that's life. You can't just have all good and no bad, but that's the way the world wants to serve it up. You know, those that are too thin-skinned for criticism, those that are too thin-skinned for a bit of attack, we are to expect that in this world and we're to embrace the good and the bad the rough and the smooth. It's all part of life. People don't have the ability to be able to withstand a few thumbs down. I mean, good grief. Well, anyway, now we don't know, but give us some thumbs up and much appreciated tuning in and finding the stream today. Let's see if we have um, any more wisdom before we Yes, Crystal Rosa, I like me a good fight occasionally. Right, you've got to take the rough with the smooth. You can't just have the smooth. That's not life. Land of honey, do we know the Gregorian dates for the biblical holidays this year? Yes, we do, land of honey. Go to torchthetribes.com forward slash connect. And I think if you click, click on the calendar page, there should be a download, downloadable calendar there for you um, so that you can look at the Gregorian dates. I believe Passover is going to be on Roman date, April 2nd or 3rd, just off the top of my head. So just double check um, with the calendar there. And thank all of you for tuning into the broadcast this Shabbat and be blessed. And like I say, iron sharpens iron. We are in the Malkitzedic priesthood together. And Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Yahweh lift up his countenance upon you and grant you shalom. In the name of Yahusha, Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. Shabbat Shalom.